Welcome and thanks for listening to this message from City Bridge Community Church. Our heart at City Bridge is to call all people to be fully devoted followers of Christ. To learn more about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. Now, here's the message. I want to introduce you to what was the most stressful game of my childhood. I don't know what was the most stressful game for you in your childhood. Maybe you're thinking operation. Because you have a man's life literally in your hands and you're trying to remove the funny bone and every time you make a mistake, and as me as a perfectionist, every time you make a mistake, what happens? You get shocked. Like, how was that a kid's game? (laughs) But that gave me some anxiety, but not as much as this game. Maybe you're thinking truth or dare, especially in a co-ed environment uh, in which you didn't know what was gonna be asked or what was gonna be asked for you to do. But it wasn't that. The most stressful game for me in my childhood, and I'm even a little stressed out right now taking this tarp off, is the game. (sighs) Okay, Jenga. Jenga. Uh, even the commercial was stressful. Now, I don't know if you remember the commercial. I didn't even have to go and look it up. I just remember it because it was so impregnated into my memory. It was a commercial in which a bunch of kids were in an abandoned warehouse playing Jenga, you know, like kids do. <laughs> and they were just whispering, Jenga, Jenga, Jenga. And as they were playing and as they were removing more and more blocks, like the, the chanting got louder and louder and louder. And at the end, they were just screaming, Jenga, Jenga, Jenga. And then the last one would pull and everything would fall over. And then, you know, that was c- commercial. And I was like, okay, like big deep breaths, you know, like it's going to be okay. But what's the point of Jenga? The point of Jenga is that you actually have this pretty firm uh, structure that, that's built with all these different blocks. And then the point of the game is you go around one by one and you begin to poke at it. And you begin to see where the loose blocks and you begin to pull it up one by one. And as the game progresses, you just don't want to be the last one that pulls the wrong block. And then all of a sudden the whole thing falls over. That's the game. And so why am I telling you this? It's not to relive some traumatic experience from my childhood. Um, I've gone to Regen for that. (laughs) But rather, and I've worked through it, but rather, it's because I think for some of us, this is our faith. This is how our faith feels at times. That we have this firm foundation of things that we've been taught or things that we've read or things that we've seen in God's word, but then all of a sudden, things start getting poked at whether that's intellectually or situationally or emotionally, things start getting poked at and all of a sudden this thing that was once firm all of a sudden gets more and more fragile as life happens. And so the reality of it is God doesn't want you to have a fragile faith. He wants you to have a firm faith. He wants you to have a faith firmly rooted, not in feelings or emotion, but in objective historic reality that Jesus really did die on that cross. He really did raise from the grave and he really is coming back for us. And as we trust in him and believe in him, we can have life both now and forever. And yet I think for many of us, as we engage in this world, we have these moments in which our faith begins to get poked at. And all of a sudden we're exposed that it's a little bit more fragile than we'd like to admit. Like I remember for me, I went off to college and, and I went and I remember just philosophy 101 and, and Christianity 101 and intro to religion 101. And I didn't go to a Christian university. Well, kind of, I went to Texas A&M. Yep. Uh, which was close enough to a Christian university. But I remember walking into intro to religion 101 and I remember 
that it felt like the teacher's role was to unravel our faith, to poke at it, what's called today deconstruct our faith in which you just start poking at all these different things. And so I remember day one in class, all these people came in and they were like valid believers, that they were professing believers in Christ. But then all of a sudden the teacher started poking at different things. He started saying, hey, you know, this verse doesn't really match up with this other verse. You see this right next to each other. And then he would start saying things like, you know, uh, um, God got it wrong here. Or, or my favorite one was at the end of the class one day, he goes, you know what? Jesus never really claimed to be God. See you next week. And all of a sudden, what I begin to see is over the course of the semester, and maybe some of you who are in college or in high school, or some of you who have kids in college or in high school are beginning to see this and feel this. I begin to see this class that at the beginning were professing believers, but by the end, many of them were joining in with the teacher, mocking the faith they once professed. And so for maybe for you, it is intellectual in which you read a blog or you see a post or maybe somebody shows you these different verses and, and you've never read them before, you've never engaged with them before and so you don't really know what to do with that or maybe this time of year as Easter rolls around, every single year around this time, it's like you go on the History Channel and you begin to stream like discovering the real Jesus or uncovering the real Messiah and all of a sudden it gets poked at and you go, I don't know what to do with that. But for some of you, maybe it's not intellectual, maybe it's situational. That as you move throughout your life, you have these moments in which you have this firm foundation in Christ, but then something happens that's unexpected. And you believe that God is good and he loves you and he wants the best for you, but then all of a sudden you don't get that job or you get laid off. You get that diagnosis. Or you just have that day after day repetitive reality that life is difficult, it's mundane, it's hard, and you begin to lose track as your life gets poked at about the reality of who God is and what he has for you. Or maybe for you, it's like what I struggle with. That I have this firm foundation in Christ, yes. But then it's also a little bit of my performance. It's also a little bit of what people think about me. And maybe for you, it's how many likes you get after you post something or how, how well you compare to that like Instagram mom that's just crushing it, you know? But all of a sudden, this thing that should be firmed up in our life is a lot more fragile than we like to admit. And the truth is God wants us to have a firm foundation and it's rooted not in emotion, not in a feeling, but in objective historic reality that Jesus really loves you, he's for you, and he's got life planned for you, and he's in control, and he's got this, and all of that is validated in one historic moment, which is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so we're diving in this morning back into our series, Fully Alive, talking about what it means to find life in the one who conquered the grave. And what we've been coming back to, and what we will come back to over and over and over again, is the significance of this moment that because Jesus really did live, he really did die, he really did raise to life, we can have a firm foundation when the world wants to poke at and make it fragile. And so as we dive back in, we're in 1 Corinthians 15, and, and that is the most condensed, concise, clear theology that, that Paul the apostle has on the nature and the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the implications that it is on our daily life and our daily experience. And so last week we talked about the reality of the resurrection that Jesus really did die and he really did raise to life. And what we're gonna talk about this week is the reason for that. And as we look in 1 Corinthians 15, picking up in verse 12 through 34, we're gonna see kind of two realities that Paul is now pushing forward. The importance of the resurrection, 
but then also the impact of the resurrection. That when we grab in our mind how important this is to our faith, then it's gonna impact every aspect, not just of our future reality as we die and go to heaven, but rather it will impact our today. And so that's what we're looking at this morning. And my hope is no matter what makes your faith feel fragile at times, we would run back to the firm foundation that is Christ, who he is, what he's done, his life, his death, his resurrection, because that's what God wants for you. He wants you to have a firm foundation in Christ alone. And so first up, we're gonna see the importance of the resurrection. And we're gonna see that picking up in verse 12 that says this, now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And so pause here for a moment. In the Corinth church and in this time period, there's a group of people going around. Some were Christians, some were not, but they had this belief, this false theology that there was no resurrection. There was no life after death. There was nothing else outside of this life. Sound familiar? And what that was doing is it was coming into the Corinth church and all of a sudden as people were adopting that mindset of, hey, it's only about this life. There's no resurrection from the dead. We saw it last week that there was all these sins that begin to crop up because if there's no resurrection, there's nothing else. If it's just this life, then why bother? Let me just kind of run off to my own self-interest and my own selfishness my own sin, because I die and nothing happens. And so that was creeping in to the church. And as I just think about our world today, there's so much noise coming at us all the time, isn't there? So much media, so much content, so many experts, so many podcasts, so, many, so, so much noise. And if I had to summarize the cultural kind of wisdom of the age, it's this. It's there's nothing after this. This is all there is. And so you live your best life now on your own terms, in your own way. You live your truth. You, you discover your unique identity and then you just kind of live that identity out loud. Because if there's nothing else, then you be you. And we've adopted that reality as a culture and look at where it's gotten us. Look at the hurt. Look at the hopelessness. And so what Paul's gonna do here is he's gonna go, okay, let's just pretend that this is true. What impact does it have? Why is this so important? And so for a moment, what Paul's gonna do is kind of enter into the twilight zone, right? Where you are gonna wake up and we're the same, but everything else is different. Or for our younger generation, myself included, we're gonna enter into another multiverse, okay? We're gonna enter it in, and it's the realm in which the resurrection of Christ did not happen. And he's gonna use this as a false negative to go, hey, if this didn't happen, then watch how much this unravels for us. And so he's gonna say it in verse 14. He says, if Christ has not been raised, then he first says, our preaching is in vain. That what I'm doing right now, opening up a 2000 year old book and telling you what it says is completely and utterly pointless. Why would we read this if Jesus hasn't raised from the grave? And then he says, your faith is in vain because what you're holding on to, this gospel message, the good news that Jesus has come, Jesus has conquered, and Jesus is inviting you to take part in his kingdom, 
Man, none of that's true. And so it's like falling off a cliff and trying to flap your arms thinking you're gonna fly. You can do a lot of work, but he's saying, hey, that's vain. It doesn't do anything if the resurrection isn't true. He says, we are even found misrepresenting God. Now in this time period, that was called a big no-no, okay? It's a theological term, (laughs) but that was a no-no. It was called blasphemy. It was so severe that according to Deuteronomy law, that if you were misrepresenting God, what the community was supposed to do was to take you out back and stone you and kill you saying the resurrection isn't true, then we're misrepresenting God. Why? Because we testified about God that he, the father raised Christ, the son, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then not even Christ has been raised. And he continues. He says, if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile. Why? Because you are still in your sins. That when Jesus died on the cross, it was him paying the penalty for your sin. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And so on the cross, Jesus, he who knew no sin, became sin on our behalf and God punished him on our behalf. And the death was the reality that he paid the bill. But the resurrection was proof that the check cleared, that death couldn't hold him. Death couldn't conquer him. But if the resurrection isn't true, then you're still in your sins. He says, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ, they're perished, they're gone. There's no hope. If Christ, we have hope in this life only, we are to be pitied above all. Are you seeing the importance of this? The importance of the resurrection. If Jesus hasn't risen, then nothing matters. It just doesn't. That's how critical this is. I remember a a bit ago, I had this conversation with an atheist and um, he was doing what a lot of people do. They was kind of poking at the faith and and his two predominant things that he was kind of poking at was was creation and kind of our stance on some cultural issues. And he just kind of kept on poking. I just listened to him and I was just going, okay, okay, okay. And then he got done. And these are really in. Firm foundation people. (laughs) And uh, what I said to him was this, hey, I'd love to engage with you on any of these. And there's some really good answers out there for things about creation. And there's things about our cultural issues and why we believe what we believe and why we stand firm in the areas we stand firm. But let me, I go, can I improve your argument? Which is pretty good in an argument if you're trying to like strengthen theirs, you know? I I felt pretty good about the moment because I go, hey, can, can I strengthen your argument? I go, if you want to unravel Christianity, don't go after creation and don't go after cultural issues. There's actually solid believers that maybe disagree about certain aspects of us or nuances of that. But if you want to unravel Christianity, I said, go after the resurrection. Prove to me that Jesus did not raise from the grave. And I had just read 1 Corinthians 15 just in my studies. And I just was like, because if that happens, if you do that, you win. But I knew I was making a challenge that he couldn't prove. And so if you're in here and you're wrestling with the person of Jesus Christ, let me just invite you. Don't poke holes at creation or cultural issues. You have to deal with the objective reality, the historical reality that there was a man named Jesus Christ who claimed to be God and then died on a cross. And then three days later was walking around 
you have to deal with that. And once you understand that reality, everything else is built up on that. The Saint Augustine said that we don't just try to understand things so that we can have faith. We have faith first in who Jesus is and what he does. And then we seek understanding in this life. And so if you're in here and you're like that, man, I challenge you, go and discover the truths of the resurrection of Christ. And if you're in here and you're talking with someone who's pu- pushing back on, on cultural issues or creation and stuff like that, man, run to the resurrection. Get them to see the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's your role. Because we are people who are evangelists, people who push forward the good news of Jesus Christ. And so run to the resurrection of Christ. And so last week, we said in here this acronym of how we know, how we're shored up that Jesus really did raise from the grave. And we, we said that this was the heart of God, that God really wants to, like God has gone out of his way to show you that Jesus really did die on that cross and Jesus really did raise from the grave. And he said, look, there was this honorable burial in which individuals saw Jesus die and they knew where he was buried. But then three days later, there was this empty tomb in which his adversaries and his followers were saying, we don't know where the body is. And then Time and time again, Jesus appears at one point over to 500 individuals at this one time. And then there was this overnight rise of Christianity in which people who were terrified all of a sudden became bold and courageous. And then those group of people, the most unlikely group of people to shift anything they were doing there in their religious practices overnight changed every bit of their traditions. And we said, this is the heart of God. He wants you to really know, have a firm foundation and Jesus has risen. This is not blind faith. And yet as individuals have kind of come together over time and don't want this to be true, they've come up with different ideas, different theories of how to validate all of this. And they've come up with honestly some pretty funny theories. The first one being the mass hallucination theory. So everyone just hallucinated simultaneously about the resurrection of Jesus. The problem with that is that has never happened in recorded psychological history. So that one's out. The next one's actually my favorite, which is weird to say, this is my favorite heretical theory. Um, (laughs) But it is, it's the twin brother theory. So Jesus had a twin brother. I don't know if you're aware, his name was Cletus. So Jesus and Cletus. And um, yeah, the night that Jesus was betrayed, they just kind of swapped places and Cletus was like, what's happening here? You know, like, it's a twin brother theory. Not likely. The next one is the swoon theory. That Jesus, you know, after being beaten half to death, hanging up on a cross for six hours, mocked, ridiculed, thorns going through his skull, nails in his arms, nails in his legs, faked his own death. And then as he's faking his own death, a soldier comes up and stabs him in the heart and blood and water comes out, but he's still still holding it together. He's still faking it. He goes into a tomb and for three days, no food, no water. And then he rolls over that tomb and then overpowers two Roman centurions and then jogs a couple of miles to go interact with his disciples. And he's like, ta-da. Also not likely. The last one is the stolen body theory. And so the disciples, you know, those people that ran away terrified the night that Jesus was betrayed and handed over to Roman centurions and to to be uh, crucified. And they were like, I don't want anything to do with that. And so they ran away, you know, terrified. They, the next day go, you know what? We have this idea. 
what if we actually go and, you know, overpower those Roman Navy SEALs there? You know, we're fishermen, but I think we can take them. So let's just do that. And then let's roll away that stone. And then let's permanently hide the body. And then let's go and live a life in which we are constantly persecuted, mocked, and then ultimately radically, horrifically killed for a falsity and a lie. And let me be clear, you don't die for a lie. So also not likely. And so to quote the great theologian, Sherlock Holmes, (laughs) when you eliminate the impossible, all that's left, no matter how improbable, must be the answer. It's almost like God really wanted us to know that he sent his son to live a perfect life, to die a death in your place and to raise to life. And you have to recognize and to wrestle with that reality. Because when you do, it begins to impact every aspect of your life. That is the importance of the resurrection. It is critical to everything. If this hasn't happened, then nothing matters. But if it has, then nothing else matters. And that reality begins to impact everything about you. And the first area that Paul goes is he goes, I want you to understand how this impacts your future, what's coming next for all of us. And he says it here. He says in verse 20, but if in fact Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, for as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But if each one in, in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God, the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all things, uh, his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for God has put all things in subjective under his feet. But when it says all things are subjected, it also is plain that he is accepted who have put all things in subjective unto to him. When all things are subjected to him, then the son himself will be also be subjected to him who put all things in his subjection under him that God may be all in all. That clear? <laughs> we good? Can I move on? <sighs> okay, this is what we call a dense passage. So our temptation, when we come to this in scripture, and maybe you got here this week in the reading plan, the temptation is to go, whoo, okay, that's a lot. Uh, Let me go back to Psalms and um, the warm fuzzies. I need the warm fuzzies. And, uh, but let's pause because all scripture is profitable. And what we see right here is the reality of the resurrection, the impact of the resurrection and what it does to the future. And so let's go back and do a little Bible study 101, okay? Verse by verse says this, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. And then he calls Christ the first fruits. I love that term. It's an agricultural term. We don't use it a lot in our culture, but it's an agricultural term that was this. A first fruit was literally the first fruit of a harvest that was gonna come. It would typically come a couple of weeks before the main harvest. But what would you do as a farmer is when you begin to see the little inklings of the first fruit, you would grab those and you would have this celebration because it was validation that this harvest was coming. And right here, Jesus is called the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, of those that have died, that whatever happened with Jesus is the hope that we have who are in Christ. And you might be wondering, well, how does that work? 
Well, then Paul goes, hey, remember that guy, Adam? Well, Adam came and when he came, you know, he sinned and that, and that sin led to death. The wages of sin is death. And when he died, like it came to everyone. And then same way, you know, that Jesus guy, kind of a big deal. When he came, just like sin came through Adam and death came through Adam, life came through Jesus because of his resurrection. So you're going, okay, how does that work? And he goes, well, each is gonna happen in its own order. First, it's Christ the first fruits. Check, he's done it. He's risen, he's alive. And it's validation that the harvest is gonna come because second is that the ad is coming, those who belong to Christ. And so Jesus is going to return. And when he returns, those who have fallen asleep, those who have died will be risen to life. And we're gonna talk about that more next week about what that means because we have in this mind that we just kind of die and go to this ethereal sky palace called heaven. And then that's the end. That's not the end. God has something else in store for us. Heaven invades earth and we're a part of that. Stay tuned for next week. But then what happens is the end comes. The end of all things, when Jesus culminates all things, you read about it in Revelation, when he delivers the kingdom of God to the Father after destroying every rule and every power and every authority. Why? Because Jesus must reign. The heart of God from creation is that he desired to rule and to reign through humans, those who are made in his image and his likeness. And when nobody did, when all sin and fallen short of the glory of God, God said that I will, and I will become human in the person of my son, and I will reign and I will rule. In Bible study 101, you look for what's repeated and six times, subjection, subjection, subjection. The whole world is subjective to the glorious king that is Jesus. And then Jesus will ultimately hand that over to the father. Why? Because God will be all in all. He will be glorified. That's the story you're living in. That's the reality of the resurrection and that how it, is how it impacts the future. And so let me summarize everything. If Christ has not raised from the dead, then our preaching is in vain, our faith is in vain, we're misrepresenting God, our faith is futile, we're still in our sins, death is the end and we are to be pitied. If Jesus hasn't risen from the grave, then nothing really matters. But if he has, then all of a sudden he begins to bring meaning and life and abundance and joy and you can actually be fully alive, yes, in eternity, but today because of who Jesus is and what he has done, because if he has risen, then Jesus is the first of our faith. He gives life and he will return and when he returns, he's gonna reign and he's gonna destroy death. And then he's going to give all things to the Father so that God is ultimately glorified. And so I need you to see this because Paul is not making a very intensive argument here. He's actually just saying one simple thing, that if Jesus has not risen from the grave, then nothing matters. Nothing matters. It is objective reality that if he has not risen, then it just doesn't matter. You lose. And so seek your own 
wealth, seek your own position, seek your own status because you're gonna live and you're gonna die and you're gonna blink out of existence. Live your own truth. Does it matter how you raise your kids? Not really. Does it matter what they learn in school? Not really. Does it matter whether or not you stand up for your faith when the world is screaming to you? Not really. Nothing matters. This is how wildly important the resurrection of Christ is. Because if Jesus hasn't risen from the grave, then nothing matters. But if he has, like if he really came, if he really lived, if he really died, if that really did happen, then that changes everything. Because if he did raise from the grave, then nothing else matters. And what we are called to do from there is then to build our life, not on ourselves but we build our life on the firm foundation of our resurrection of Christ. It should impact how we treat others. It should impact how we share our faith. It should impact how we spend our money, how we engage with others, how we resolve conflict. It should impact every single thing of your life as you build your life on the firm foundation of the historic reality that there is a God. He does love you. He does care about you. And whatever story that says otherwise is false and a lie. And it's from the devil and hell that wants your faith to be fragile. But God wants you to be firm in your faith as you continue to build on who Jesus Jesus is and what he has done. Is that true of you? Is your faith firmed on Christ alone? Or is it fragile? Is it fragile? This is the impact of the resurrection. That if Jesus hasn't risen, then nothing matters. But if he has, then nothing else matters. And you begin to build your life on Christ alone. So that's where Paul goes next. That we as believers, because of the resurrection, should look different than the world around us. He talks about the impact of the resurrection, not just in the future, but today and tomorrow. And when you go to work and when you interact with your kids and when you post online, it impacts everything. He says it this way. He says, otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people being baptized on their behalf? There's some different beliefs about what Paul is saying here. One is that maybe people who died, uh, who had believed in Christ, but hadn't necessarily been baptized yet, then other people kind of came around and as a symbolic gesture got baptized on their behalf. Or others is just the reality that we're all kind of, we're all dead in our sins. And so when I baptize, I'm identifying with the death, burial and resurrection of Christ, regardless of what he's talking about here, he's pointing to the reality of baptism. Why would we baptize people? Because when you get baptized, according to Romans six, you are walking into the water. And I love the picture the water line, and then you walk in and you're identifying with what? The cross of Christ. That when he died, I died. And then you're buried, identifying with his death. And then we say buried with Christ in baptism and you are raised now to walk in a newness of life. And so he's saying, why do we baptize if our hope is not in the resurrection? And then he goes on. Why do we do all this other crazy stuff? 
Why are we in danger every hour? I protest brothers, I protest sisters, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die every day, I'm suffering for this message. This is where all my hope is, all my chips are in this one basket. What do I gain if humanly speaking, I fought with the beast in Ephesus? He's not talking about actual wild animals, he's talking about I'm speaking boldly into the culture around me, the good news of Jesus Christ, and they are coming after me because of that. Why would I do that? Why would I be bold in my faith? Why would I raise my kids in the Lord? Why would I do that without the resurrection? Because without the resurrection, why not just eat and drink? Because tomorrow you die. Just make life about you. Because if this life is all that there is, then yeah, go be selfish. Get yours. But if it's not, then he calls us to not be deceived. He says, bad company ruins good morals. So he goes, wake up. Like, wake up. Wake up to this reality. Wake up to the centrality of the person of Jesus Christ. It's who the universe was made for. And it's who you were made for. So stop building your life on anything that's not him. He says, wake up from your drunken stupor as it is right and do not go on sinning. Stop running to that vice. Stop running to that comfort. Stop running to that sin. Stop running to that pride. Stop running to that insecurity. You take those thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. For some of you have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. He is saying, wake up. This is real. This is who you were made for. And stop sinning, stop rejecting this God who loves you and wants you to have life and life abundantly in him. He wants you to be fully alive. So know him, walk with him, build your life on Christ alone because if Christ hasn't risen from the grave, then nothing else, nothing matters. But if he has, then nothing else matters. And we as a culture need a wake up call. A couple years ago, I was with some friends of mine over in Turkey, uh, friends of ours from here. We went over and we began to minister to these Iranian Christians living in Turkey. And their stories were absolutely beautiful because what it was, was a lot of them had to flee from Iran uh, under just kind of the hostility that was happening there. And what they said to them to do was this, hey, why don't you go? And you're more likely to get into a country if you profess to being a Christian, but they're gonna quiz you on it. And so here's this thing that they really like, it's called the Bible. You should probably read it just to kind of make sure you're ready. And one after another, begin to read the Bible. And begin to see a God who loved them and one of them to have a life and life abundantly and one after another, not for some test, but for eternity and for today, trusted in Christ. And so I'm with these men, I'm with these women and I'm shamed because they're in a country that is 98% Muslim and you have to put your religion on your driver's license so that when you go vote, they know. When you get pulled over, they know. And these individuals in the dead center of town were in this building and they purposely put the windows down so that when they sang praises of Jesus, 
everyone around them could hear the hope that is in Christ. Many of you have been keeping up with what's going on in Ukraine. And a lot of individuals, you know, you know, government officials, hey, we're gonna send more ammunition. We're gonna send more guns. We're gonna send more this and more that. I read an article this past week that Christians there are going, you know what you need to send? We need more Bibles. Because what's happening right here, right now, at this moment is people are waking up to the reality that their foundation is not in a building that could be blown away. It's not even in their life that could be taken in an instant, but their foundation is in Christ alone. And so people are swarming churches right now to hear the hope that so many of us are inoculated to. And they're realizing the beauty of the hope of the resurrection in Christ. And they're literally running out of Bibles. One woman said, I would rather my Bible than my daily ration of bread. Because that's where hope is. That's where life is. And we as American Christians, we are so addicted. I am so addicted to my comfort. And it takes very little in my life for things to start feeling a bit shaky. And God wants for you to have a firm foundation in Christ alone. And he has gone exceedingly out of the way to show you his heart, his love, his kindness. So I don't know what it is for you, but let's wake up. Let's stop sinning and let's know this God because he has shown us the importance of the resurrection. And as we wake up, as we stop sinning, as we know this God, we will see the impact, not just for eternity, but for today. Thanks for listening. We pray this message encourages you on your journey with Jesus. If you found this message helpful, feel free to share it with others and leave us a review. To learn about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. You can also follow us on social at citybridgecc. See you next time.